Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart, a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bolin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bolin Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bolinbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to the Unconventional Wedding Planning Podcast. My name is Ashley, and I am planning my own unconventional budget micro wedding in the middle of a pandemic. If you know that weddings on Instagram and Pinterest are not real, then you're in the right place. Hello, wedding planning podcast listeners. (laughs) I don't know what to call you. Anyways, we are back. This is episode 30. And I thought um, in honor of hitting this next milestone that I would do another wedding planning Q&A episode. So again, these are questions that are super common. They come up all the time in Facebook groups, online, um, wherever people are, wherever people are planning weddings, these are questions that come up and maybe they are some questions that you have asked. So I'm going through the questions and I will give you my opinion. If you want more uh, wedding planning Q&A goodness, you can head back to episode 20 where I did the first part of this and this is part two. I'm going to try to answer, I'm going to say five, five, maybe six questions. Uh, We'll see how we go, but let's get to the very first question. Okay, so the first question we are going to tackle today is, should you hire a videographer? So a videographer, pretty obvious from the name, is a person who goes around and shoots video on your wedding day. They often work either with the photographer or like in line with the photographer. So while the photographer is taking all your beautiful photos, the videographer is going around and getting a lot of video. So a lot of people wonder if they actually need a videographer. And I think this kind of falls into two camps. Of course, you know, if it was free or... (laughs) 50 bucks, everyone would hire a videographer because who doesn't want a wedding video? Like that's pretty, pretty awesome. But unfortunately, videographers are very expensive. And I'm sure, um, you know, they're able to charge those prices because they do really amazing, beautiful work. And I know nothing about video editing. I'm sure it's very time consuming and difficult and you have to spend a lot of time getting good at it. So prices are warranted. However, they can cost, you know, really thousands and thousands of dollars 
I don't know that I've seen packages for less than $3,000 and definitely have seen ones that go all the way up, you know, to $10,000 might be a little cheaper in your area, but it's a pretty huge investment. So it really makes sense that couples are wondering if it's worth it. Do they actually need to have a videographer? So of course the answer is no, you do not need to have a videographer. Like I said, it's very expensive. So this is not a mandatory vendor. If you're trying to save money, this is definitely something you can cut. However, I will say a lot of people who, who have the video, who get it, um, really value it as it's, it's truly the only live version of your wedding. You know, the photos will take you back and help you remember all the good moments, but they're not going to, um, you know, capture that heartfelt toast that your dad gave or that beautiful maid of honor speech or your vows. Um, and a lot of people really love their wedding videos because often they become videos of the last time we saw so-and-so a person before they passed away. So I know I've heard of people saying, oh, you know, my my dad passed away a year after my wedding and I'm so, so grateful we have this video. We have, um, you know, video of him dancing on the dance floor, giving his toast, crying at the ceremony. And it's just kind of a really beautiful way to remember a person, right? Because you're probably getting so many um, really beautiful moments of them, joyful and happy tears, and maybe saying really heartfelt words, especially if it's an important person, like a parent or a sibling or a best friend. I mean, knock on wood, of course, I don't want any of those people to pass away for you. But if sadly, that is the reality, it's it's really beautiful if you have that wedding video to remember them. It's also a really nice way to see uh, speeches and vows, you know, those are really important words. And again, photos are never going to be able to capture, um, you know, a speech or a vow or a toast, um, as well as just moments that you miss, even though you are the couple of the hour, there's going to be lots of things happening at your wedding that you probably miss, you know, you go to the bathroom or you go out to take photos, and something happens on the dance floor, and it'd be really cool to see the video. Um, but the big question usually is, you know, aside from remembering those those special moments and seeing loved ones that maybe pass on, how often will you actually watch your video? Like, are you actually sitting down, you know, every weekend to to pop in your wedding video? Probably not. I know most people just watch their wedding video on their anniversary. So that's something to factor in. If it's something you're going to watch once a year, is that actually worth, you know, $5,000 to you? Maybe you're not that sentimental. Maybe you're not even going to watch it that often. So again, is that worth $5,000? to you to watch it every five years, maybe. Uh, you force your kids to watch it a couple times and they laugh about all the outdated fashion. So there are some compromises here if you kind of think like, hey, we, we love the idea of having a video. You know, we want to be able to see our vows again. We want to be able to see all our loved ones. However, we don't want to part with $5,000. So there's lots of sort of DIY amateur versions of this. One that's obviously super trendy this year is Zoom weddings. So many people are getting married on Zoom or at least, you know, inviting a portion of their guests to watch the wedding on Zoom. And, you know, geniusly, Zoom has figured out that you can record these things. So it's obviously not the same as having an actual videographer there, you know, getting angles, cutting things together, you're going to have possibly, you know, really bad audio, you'll have the photographer's butt in the way, strange angles. But if, if all you really want at the end of the day is just that reliving of your ceremony, you want to be able to hear your vows, you want to be able to see your parents crying in the front row, then that's a really great great way to to get a video and not have to pay any extra money than what you were already going to pay. I think it's like 50 bucks for Zoom for the month or something like that. 
Another option is to ask your friends to record on their phones. These days, phones have uh, incredible cameras. So you could just designate a few friends who are, you know, really savvy, tech savvy, and say, hey, I'd love if you could record all of our speeches and toasts and vows and, you know, some fun things on the dance floor and then just send me the stuff afterwards. I know there are actually a few companies that have like apps, I think, that your, your friends download to their phones um, and they can record all the video footage and then the company kind of puts it all together for you in like a cute little like slideshow video. Um, another option would be just to hire somebody who's like a little bit more amateur. So maybe they're like an up and coming videographer, maybe they're a student or just, you know, a friend of yours who takes great video anytime they go on vacation and you can kind of say, Hey, like, can I just pay you a couple hundred bucks to, to take a, a, you know, a little bit of video for us on the day of, of course, there are lots of issues with this. You know, if you hire an amateur, you can't expect a professional product. If you ask your friends to record, there's a good chance that, you know, they forget or they get drunk or, I don't know, they accidentally delete it or their their phone's on selfie mode, whatever it is. Um, so there's definitely risks there. And if so if you're the kind of person who like 100%, you want this video, you're going to cherish it forever, you're going to watch it every anniversary, um, maybe it is worth it then for you to spend the money. But if you're someone who's saying like, hey, you know, it'd be nice, but it's, it's not my top priority, I don't have the money for it, then definitely go with one of these more uh, DIY versions. Okay, question number two. So question number two is, can you uninvite someone from your wedding? Ooh, so of course, um, you know, Emily Post and all sort of decorum and etiquette would say absolutely not. It is a horrible form. As soon as you send out that save the date or worse, when you send out the invite, uh, that is it. Like doors are closed. That person has the choice. Balls in their court. They can come. They cannot come. Um, they can bring a plus one if you give them that option. And uh, and it's too late. It's too bad. Like that's that person's invited and you cannot uninvite them. However, 2020 happened and COVID and pandemics and all that other wildness in the world, um, which means all those rules are totally thrown out the window. So this has definitely been the year of uninviting people, of canceling, of postponing, of downsizing. So I think if, if there's ever a time when even Emily Post would say, yes, you can uninvite someone, it would be now. Of course, if rules change in your area and your 200 person wedding is now, you know, illegal and you have to get married with 50 or 25 or just, you know, things happen. You lose your job, you, you know, someone who's footing the bill for your wedding loses their job, your venue burns down, um, whatever, it's 2020, everything is happening. Uh, that's definitely cause for uninviting somebody. I will say if, if you've had to make a change, but you're you're still getting married. So this is a situation where your wedding is still on, but you need to uninvite people from it. I think it's actually better to say that your wedding is canceled and then reinvite other people to this small version of your wedding. I think it gets really tricky um, and kind of, you know, ugly and, and tense if you say, hey, okay, you know, we had 200 people invited, but we can only get 50. So now we have to uninvite you know, 150 of them. I think it's much better if you just send out like a blanket, however you want to do it, an email, a postcard, a, a card, I guess, if you want, um, saying like, hey, so sorry, like such and such has happened. And we've had to like completely, you don't have to use the word cancel if, if you're uncomfortable with lying, but just letting them know, like, you know, the event is, is no longer happening as we had planned. We thank you so much. We hope to celebrate with you in the future and leave it at that. And then sort of go back to the people you are allowed to invite, you know, your, your parents, your best friends, whoever it is, and re-invite them to this smaller version. Um, just so people don't, I mean, I know it, I know it, it ends up being the exact same thing, right? It's 200 down to 50, but I think it feels better 
better for people to think like, okay, the wedding was totally canceled. And then they just, you know, did something small with their parents versus, oh, so the wedding wasn't canceled. I just wasn't in their top 50. Like that feels a little bit a little bit catty, a little bit tense, um, which is which is the whole situation of uninviting people. I'm sure even I luckily have not had to uninvite anyone as I'm sort of mid wedding planning and we haven't sent out any invites or anything like that yet. Um, but I can imagine it's a very tense situation, even if you do have a pandemic as sort of your reason for uninviting people, I can imagine it still is very tense and uncomfortable. So this is definitely one of those things like your guest list needs to be locked down and solid before you start telling people about the wedding, before you officially invite anyone, before you put a single thing in the mail with a stamp on it, before you send out an email or a wedding website, like you need to be so 100% certain about those people. Um, really, you know, talking that over with your fiance, with whoever else is contributing to the guest list. I know sometimes parents are, are part of that and just making sure, you know, go over every single person, be so sure that you want them there. Um, and a lot of people will do, you know, they'll have an A-list and they'll have a B-list. So they invite their A-list first. And as people decline from the A-list, like, you know, they say we can't make it, they'll then go to their B-list. So that's a really good way to do it if you have, you know, 20 people that are like, okay, 100%, you know, these are my ride or dies, they have to be at the wedding, invite those people first. And then if those people decline, or if things change in your area, and you're able to invite more, then move on to your B list versus inviting your, you know, ABCD list, then realizing, oh, crap, we can't have that many people, you know, something's happened and having to uninvite people, which is awkward and uncomfortable and really could cause a lot of drama, right? It's, you know, weddings are big, big things, big deals, there's a lot of tradition and feelings tied up in it. It's basically all about family and money, which is where a lot of drama comes from. So, you know, you only really want to be uninviting people in very dire circumstances like pandemics. Um, of course, there are, I'm sure there are other circumstances that would cause you to uninvite someone, but really, really don't want to. It shouldn't be a thing of just like, oh, you know, we overspent or, oh, eh, we haven't really talked to that person. Like, no, sorry. You should have thought that through before you sent the invite. I know I'm usually pretty chill saying there are no rules and, you know, take all of this with a grain of salt. You can make your own decisions, but I really don't think this is a time when you want to be, oh, you know, she didn't Venmo me for half of brunch this morning. So that's it. Uninvited. Like I'm going to make a dramatic passive aggressive Facebook post about it and send her an uninvited card in the mail. Like this is not where you want to be. This is not the vibe you want for your wedding. Absolutely not. Okay. Question at number three, how do you choose a theme for your wedding? So my first answer for this is you don't need one. Weddings do not need themes. The theme can be wedding or marriage or love. You do not need to have a bohemian, chic, rustic, Parisian, tropical beach, winter wonderland. Like if you're watching that show Four Weddings on uh, TLC and they give each wedding a theme like, oh, regal and ritzy, like your wedding does not need that. <laughs> your wedding is not a TV show. Uh, unless it is, then you probably don't need this podcast. You probably have some TV producers you should be answering to. Um, but your wedding does not need a theme. You do not need exact colors. You don't need a specific like brand that you're going for. It is okay if your wedding is just love and marriage. And every time you have to make a decision, you just pick the thing that you like, <laughs> pick the flowers you like, pick the dress color you like, pick the, I don't know, archway that you like, pick the napkins you like. It's okay if they are not all the exact same shade of peach. So that being said, I think it is helpful to have, I, I won't call it a theme, it may be more of like a vibe or a mood, just to sort of point you in the right direction. So that when your florist says like, oh, hey, like, you know, what, what kind of flowers do you want? Or what ribbon should we be putting on this, um, you know, on your bouquet? 
you kind of know, oh, hey, we're sticking with um, jewel tones. Okay, so we're either going to go with like, you know, like a navy or a deep purple or an emerald green or like, okay, we're doing, you know, really more pale colors or something, just something like that. Um, again, you don't have to do this. You can totally just pick the, the one that you like. But if you are making a ton of decisions on a bunch of different, it's, it's often decor. Um, if you're making a ton of decisions about, about a bunch of different decor, you might not want to go in different directions each time. Um, like you might not want to do like a napkin that's totally different style than the plates, than the cups, than the centerpieces, than the chairs, than the tablecloths. It might just look a little bit wild when people sit down. It might hurt their eyes a bit. So trying to keep things that are all sort of similar, um, but you don't have to be tied to any theme uh, for your wedding day. And if you are trying to save money, which which I assume you are, I don't think anyone's trying to spend more on their wedding, you really don't need to go out. Um, sorry, you don't need to go all out on decor. Um, so these things where, you know, people get hung up on the theme and they go, oh my God, like what about, but my signs have to match my centerpieces, which have to match my archway, which has to match the linens I'm hanging and the lights I have and the little chair section I'm setting up. Like if you just cut all of those things from your budget, from your bottom line, then you also don't need to make those decisions and nothing needs to match. And that's usually where the theme would show up most anyways, right? Like all of those decor pieces. So if you just sort of decide like, hey, I'm not going to bother putting, you know, a sign telling people where the bathroom is because that's really obvious or a sign saying, hey, sign my guest book because when people see a book open with pens, they'll probably get it, <laughs> things like that. Um, you can, when you cut those decor items, that really helps sort of eliminate a lot of those theme decisions. Um, I'll also say you probably want to stick with, you know, some common sense stuff here. So if you're planning for a destination wedding in Jamaica on the beach, you probably don't want to be bringing in like Christmas trees and um, fake fur throw blankets as part of your decor. Um, and then, you know, sort of on the opposite side of that, if you're planning for a winter wedding at a cabin in the woods, you probably don't want to be bringing in palm trees and really like light breezy colors and, and linens. Um, but at the same time, you totally could. Like maybe your theme is like Christmas on the beach or something like that. Um, I don't know, tropical paradise at the cabin. Um, again, you don't need you don't need a theme. <laughs> um, but if you if you decide to go for one, more power to you. Have fun, enjoy it, but don't stress about it. I will say a lot of times people are like, oh, but my, you know, my hairstylist or my florist or whoever, they're asking, they're saying, oh, they're asking me what my theme is. So what do I tell them? What you want to do is show them photos, because if you walk into your hairstylist or your florist or wherever and you say, oh, yeah, my theme is bohemian chic. Like that means something different to every single person. <laughs> Just type that into Google or Pinterest and you're going to see so many different results. And um, that might not be what you mean by Bohemian Chic. So instead of just saying that and hoping that your hairstylist knows exactly what you mean, just show them photos. Show them photos so they know exactly what you mean. And if they want to call your theme, I don't know, rustic elegance or something, then they can call it whatever they want. But as long as you're on the same page about what that actually looks like, that is what matters. <laughs> All right, question four. So question four is, do you need an MC? So an MC is the master of ceremonies and they're the person who sort of hosts the reception. So they're usually the one who's like, oh, like give it up for the newlyweds. And you know, as you come in, as you 
as everyone does, the cheesy dance into the reception, which is when we realize a lot of people can't dance. Uh, sorry, a little side tangent on that hilarious tradition. Um, they're the ones who will announce like when toasts are happening, when the first dance is happening, when the cake's being cut, when the bar is closing, when it's last call, things like that. So basically, they're the one sort of keeping everyone on track, um, keeping people to the timeline, and just letting your guests know about important moments uh, during your reception. So you don't need to hire someone for this. I think there are actually like MCs for hire. You definitely don't need to hire somebody to, to play this role unless you are really looking for somebody to, um, you know, create more of like a party atmosphere and get people really involved and into it. Or if you're having like a really elaborate reception with like a bunch of different events happening, maybe you have a bunch of like traditional or cultural elements and you need somebody to sort of walk your guests through it, then maybe you want to hire someone. But in most cases, you don't need to. In fact, in a lot of places, the DJ will actually act as your MC too. So if that's the case, if your DJ is saying like, oh yeah, I'll also MC, you know, I'll make all the announcements, then just make sure you... Um, sort of, I don't want to say interview them, but you know, sort of like suss out how good they're going to be as an MC. Because I've seen some DJs who are like, uh, not that these guys can't be good at it, but you know, like 55 year olds, um, dads who like, obviously just do this DJ thing on the weekends to make a little extra money and are like not enthusiastic at all and just kind of get on the mic and are like, okay, uh, the newlyweds are cutting cake come. <laughs> it's just such a downer. Um, and then you also have DJs who like, you know, they're super into the music and their gear and they, and you know, so professional and like, they're not going to take the time to be fun and excited and cheesy and announce your wedding party coming in dancing to Kesha because, you know, they're a serious DJ. So just things to think about as you are looking through DJs, if you are wanting them to be your MC, or if they are offering MC packages, make sure you kind of get their vibe for what that's going to feel like. Maybe you can see some videos of their work. Um, and it, it just has to match what you're looking for. Other ways to do this, um, you know, if you don't want to put that on your DJ, you just want them to play music, it's actually a really great way to honor someone. So if there's somebody in your life who is not going to be in your wedding party, um, this is a really great role to give them, especially if you have somebody who, you know, is really outgoing or they're comfortable in front of a crowd, or they're good at sort of uh, speaking off the cuff in case things go wrong. They're pretty organized. They're not someone who's going to get completely, you know, blackout wasted in the first hour of your reception and be unreliable after that. Um, this is a really great position for them. So it's a nice way to give someone another role. If you can't ask them to be in the wedding party or do a reading or something like that, this is a really perfect spot for them. And it also makes it, you know, a little bit more cozy and intimate. Um, I don't think you should ask somebody you, you know, a friend just to be your officiant. This is, sorry, big tangent we're going on here, but I think it is risky when you ask a friend or a family member to be your officiant, the person who marries you, because, you know, often you're thinking, oh, I should ask somebody who's, you know, comfortable with public speaking, who likes to talk to a crowd. But often that person actually likes to make themselves the center of attention and they'll get up there and they'll tell, you know, personal stories, um, trying to get a laugh, They'll, they won't know things like cueing the DJ or turning on the mic or handing the mic to you for the vows. They'll forget about the rings. They won't get out of the way for the first kiss. It's just not that like romantic, intimate moment between you and your partner because you're laughing at your cousin Larry who made who made a joke. And and that's nice that it can be someone up there marrying you who, who really knows you. Um, but I really think that role should go to an officiant who is professional and knows what they're doing and isn't going to mess up that really important moment. Whereas I think cousin Larry is the perfect fit for an MC because you can be, you know, funny and humorous and and tell personal stories and make it a more social time rather than 
the ceremony that, you know, well, it can be fun. It doesn't have to be serious, but there's, there's some serious stuff going on and you want someone up there who knows what they're doing and can keep you calm. Okay. <laughs> Back to the MC. Sorry, a bit of a tangent. Um, so again, yeah, you want to ask somebody uh, who you can rely on, who's going to be able to keep things on schedule. Um, and you might want to pull in, like, if you have a venue coordinator or a wedding coordinator who's got the timeline, sort of pull them in and say, hey, this is Cousin Larry. He's going to be the MC. Like, can you please let him know when he needs to get up and, and tell people the cake cutting is happening or the first dance is happening, that sort of thing. The last thing you want to do is leave this to you and your spouse. Like, you might be thinking, like, oh, there's no one we really want to make those announcements. Like, oh, it's fine. I'll just get up and, and do it. Or, oh, once we start dancing, won't people obviously know it's the first dance? Uh, no, that will not happen. <laughs> You don't want to, you and your spouse will be, you know, dealing with enough that day. You'll have people coming up to you, wanting to pull you in eight different directions. You probably won't even have time to eat. So the last thing you want to do is also be the ones responsible for like, okay, at eight o'clock, we have to announce, you know, the speech is happening because you'll forget and it'll be nine and then you'll run out of time for everything. So definitely don't leave that on you or your spouse. Um, to be the person in charge. And also, you know, you do actually want someone to be making those announcements and and keeping to the timeline, or else, unfortunately, a lot of your guests won't notice. You'd, you'd be surprised um, how many people just, even with an MC, completely miss the cake being cut or the, the couple's first dance because, you know, they're off doing something else. They're not listening, not paying attention. Uh, people are the worst. So <laughs> it, you definitely want somebody actually in this role helping out. Okay, question five, how long do you need for wedding photos? So of course, this is totally going to depend on the size of your group, how many photos you actually want, where you're getting married, all that good stuff. But most photographers will say you want to budget at least two hours for just photos. So this is outside of the time of the photographers taking your photos during the day. So of course, your photographers are going to be there for like getting ready shots, ceremony shots, reception shots. So this is a separate two hours from that, that is like all of your um, posed photos. So none of, not just the candidates that are happening during the day. And that might sound like way too much time to you or way too little time. So definitely, you know, talk with your photographer, um, let them know your concerns and the type of wedding you're going to be having. But just generally across the board, two hours is kind of like the ballpark you want to be thinking. So in that two hours, you're going to have to factor in a few things. So of course, group size is part of it. If you have a ginormous bridal, sorry, ginormous wedding party that's going to take, you know, uh, a long time to sort of get all those people together, people, <laughs> crowd management is a big part of, of wedding photos. I can say that for sure. Having been in, in quite a few weddings, crowd management is a big part of it. Just getting people to pay attention and where they need to be is huge. Speaking of where they need to be, if you are doing your photos at a separate location, you definitely have to factor in things like travel time, uh, getting everyone together, arranging rides. Another thing you'll want to think about there, um, this is less to do with the time, but just something to keep in mind is do you have to pay to use those places? A lot of, you know, really gorgeous shots, especially the ones you see on Pinterest or Instagram, that is a spot you need to pay for to take your photos there. You can't just show up. So make sure you do all of that research ahead of time and factor that in to your timeline. Um, if you decide to do a first look, that's where the couples see each other before the ceremony. That could save you some time as you might be able to move a lot of your photos, the wedding party um, photos and the couple photos to the morning when you're doing that first look. If you're not sure if a first look is for you, head back to episode number 24. I do a quick little mini-sode about whether or not you should do a first look. Um, so the type of photos that will be happening during this sort of posed uh, time Generally speaking, it's shots with your wedding party. So that's everyone who's standing up at the front with you. It's um, couple portraits. So you and your partner, you might do some just you, just your partner. 
it's family photos. So usually um, after this usually happens after the ceremony, but um, again, you can talk to your photographer to work out the timeline. You'll do photos with uh, your parents, your siblings. Maybe you have some extended family you want to do photos with as well. Grandparents, cousins, all of that. And then a lot of photographers like to do sunset photos. So they'll sneak the couple out of the reception for maybe, you know, 15, 20 minutes, and they'll just take some more couple photos during that beautiful golden light time. My big tip here is to give yourself more time than you think. So when I first said that two hours of post photos, remember that's not two hours all at once. So that might be, you know, half an hour for the first look, um, half an hour for a couple's portraits, half an hour for family photos, and then half an hour for sunset photos or something like that. So it's broken up all throughout the day. They're not asking you to smile for two hours straight, though it is your wedding day and the, you know they'll be taking photos the whole time so you probably will end up smiling for two hours straight anyways hopefully because you're just so filled with joy uh, but my big tip here is to give yourself more time than you think you definitely definitely want buffer time uh, like i said crowd management is a huge part of it even if you're thinking like hey it's just me and my fiance and you know we have two people in our wedding party that's not a big deal it, it is like every single person is a big deal and it you know somebody forgets to put on the right sock somebody goes to the wrong location somebody shows up late someone's just not listening the photographer wants to try a different spot different lighting wants somebody to hold the veil hold the flowers hold a dog you know if you're bringing your pets into it there's a lot of things that go into it so it's not two hours of just photos there's a ton of other um, things that happen and you definitely want to have that buffer time because the you know in the worst case scenario if you're running behind on other things like let's say hair and makeup takes too long or the ceremony runs over or you get stuck in traffic then you don't get photos so I will share a little story here I was in a friend's wedding in 2016 and we were running 90 minutes late for the ceremony nine zero the ceremony was supposed to start at 11 and we didn't get there till almost one o'clock so almost two hours late um horrible i was you know with the bride so i have no idea how things were actually going at the ceremony space but apparently uh the groom and the groomsmen had walked in and just because things were taking so long they actually walked back out they left the crowd was so confused the wedding planner had to come out a few times to let them know things were happening and it was just there wasn't even anything you know it wasn't a traffic situation or anything just we were just really running behind and getting ready um which is hilarious because I think my makeup started at 5 a.m. that morning. So I'm not sure how we didn't make it for 11, but we didn't. Um, we did not get there till closer to one. Wedding went off great. Uh, beautiful ceremony. Of course, they're still happily married now, so no big deal. But unfortunately, it really did cut into the photo time. Um, my friend had two different locations planned for where we would go to take photos between the ceremony and the reception. We had to cut one of those locations. We could only go to one. And then even then, um, we barely got very many photos in. I know she was super, super disappointed. Um, another thing we had to do because we had all stayed up till, you know, 3am setting up the place and then waking up at five to start getting ready. Everyone was totally famished. So we had to spend uh, probably a good half hour of our photo time in line at a McDonald's trying to get a stretch limo to go through the McDonald's drive through to get some sustenance because we were all just, you know, falling apart. We were napping in the limo between events, <laughs> bit of a chaotic day. Um, but moral of that story was my friend was very disappointed when she got her wedding photos. They're missing a lot of photos, even just, you know, simple ones. Like there wasn't a photo of just her in her dress, which was so tragic. You know, she loved her dress. She really, really wanted that moment. 
So what we ended up doing was about a month later, we all got together and did a photo shoot um, in the streets of the city, uh, which was actually, you know, I was kind of dreading it going into it. because I was like, oh, I have to put the dress back on. I have to do my own hair and makeup this time. And of course, because it was still a weekend in the summer, um, the photo shoot happened at like five in the morning, which was totally brutal. Uh, but it was actually a ton of fun. It was really fun to take all these photos uh, with absolutely no pressure. Like there was nothing else happening that day. We could take as much time as we want. We got to have fun, goof around, um, and just take really, because it was 5 a.m. in the middle of the city, we got to take really cool photos like in the middle of the street. We had people like honking for us because they saw us all dressed up. Um, and we got some beautiful shots. And I know my friend was really excited because we got to go shoot at venues that um, she, we didn't get to on the day of just because where she was actually getting married was really far away from some of these other locations. So that's actually a little, um, sorry, it's a bit of a tangent, but I think that's actually a, a little helpful piece of advice there that if for some reason your wedding photos do not work out, or even if they do, um, it's a great idea to take photos on another day. It's such a cool way to, you know, you get to relive the moment, you get to put your outfits back on, feel special. People might, you know, cheer for you or honk or maybe give you some free champagne or something if you show up at a restaurant or a bar. You get to relive those moments. You get to have so many more um, special memories and moments created in different locations. And it really takes the pressure off of that day. You know, okay, I have whatever, however many hours your wedding day is, I have eight hours to get every single photo I absolutely want. Like you can just chill and say like, nope, no big deal. Like in a couple days, we're meeting up back up with the photographer at our local park. We're going to bring our dog and we're going to do, you know, a one hour photo session. It'll just be about us. We don't have to worry about anything else going on. I think that's really lovely. And I think actually a lot of photographers are starting to offer those like post-wedding sessions, which I think is really, really cool. Okay, my last tip on this one, sorry I'm rambling, is to check in with your photographer. Obviously, you don't want to be making any of these decisions in a vacuum. Uh, your photographer should be the one who sort of gets final say on the timeline and how long they think you'll need for different photos. They'll be able to let you know if your timeline is realistic, like saying like, oh, hey, I want to get 50 different family photos in 20 minutes. Yeah, probably not going to happen. <laughs> um, so they'll let you know that. And they also might be able to fill you in on other considerations you may have forgotten, things like, oh, hey, um, you know, that that place where you want to take photos, they don't open till noon, or that costs $1,000 to get the photo rights for. So maybe you want to rethink that, things like that. So definitely loop your photographer in. Okay, I said I was going to do one more bonus question. I will keep this one pretty short and sweet, but it's a huge question that a lot of couples ask. How do we keep the wedding budget small? How do we save money? How do we not spend our entire life's fortune on this wedding? And this is a huge question that I know I said I was going to keep it short. And the reason I'm keeping it short is because I've actually done a ton of past episodes that already answer this. So if you head back into the archives, I did an episode called It's Okay to Have a Cheap Budget Wedding. I also did a three-part series on how to save money for your wedding, where I actually go through each um, vendor or area of your wedding and talk about exactly how you can save money in those areas. But the big takeaways here really are, it comes down to your guest list and saving on really big things. So the best way to save money to keep your wedding budget small is to not invite so many people. It is way cheaper to take 20 people out for dinner than it is to take 200 people. And then you just want to save money on big things. So the venue, the food, the outfits, areas where you could be spending, you know, thousands of dollars, photography, videography. If you get those things on a budget, that will obviously help you save money. I think a lot of the 
a lot of the trouble I have with the term, you know, budget wedding or budget brides when you join those groups on Facebook is it's saving money on really tiny things. And I know that every penny adds up, but something like, oh, hey, I made all of my centerpieces from scratch by scouring the woods behind my house for hours to find these wood stumps and hot gluing a hundred stones to each one and painting this flower. Like that's going to take you so many, so many hours. Um, it might not look that great. And there's definitely a point where it's like, okay, your time is worth more than this. Like <laughs> DIYing, you know, all of your centerpieces, if it takes you a hundred hours, like it probably would have been cheaper to just buy those or to skip centerpieces altogether. Um, so just a little caveat there, DIY is not always the answer. And if you really are trying to save major bucks, you need to do that with your guest list and with your big ticket vendors, not little things like centerpieces or archways. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Unconventional Wedding Planning Podcast. I appreciate it. And I hope I gave you some good advice with these wedding planning questions. If you really want to make my day, you can leave me a rating and review. Subscribe so you don't miss the next episode. And please tell a friend about the podcast. And remember, your wedding is your day, but it's still just one day. Visit servicenow.com slash AI for people to learn more.